Sam Grew is a Middlebury native, 21-year-old Notre Dame senior. He lost his leg to cancer when he was 12. I got to know him back then. He was adopted by the Notre Dame football team during that 2012 season thanks to a chance meeting at the hospital with then-Notre Dame staffer Ernest Jones. Sam credits that team for lifting his spirits and helping him get to where he is today. So where is he today? He's a three-time Paralympian world champion in the high jump. In fact, he's the world record holder. The only thing he hasn't done is win gold at the Paralympic Games itself. He won silver in 2016, and of course we know 2020 games were postponed. That's where we begin our conversation, a really inspirational one with someone who I've seen grown up into a great man who hopes to be a doctor one day. Here's my conversation with Sam Grew. Pretty neat to have you here. I feel like we've known each other for a long time, and now you're a grown adult here, almost ready to graduate from college. Right now, you could be sitting here as a, Olympic, a Paralympic gold medalist, but obviously COVID put an end to that, and, and you've got the Paralympics next year. Just give us an update on the latest on, first of all, having it postponed and how difficult that was to now trying to prepare for the Paralympics, hopefully uh, next summer. Sure, yeah. So with the postponement, the initial instinct is is obviously frustration because we train for years for an event like that. Um, and then it kind of shifts to, oh, well, this is an extra year to train. You know, I could be bigger, faster, stronger in that time. Um, and that was kind of the mindset I, ch- I chose to try to run with for a while, but it, I kind of quickly realized training is not the same anymore. You know, I can't, it's not like I'd be training an extra year under normal circumstances to be training in the COVID era where I have to isolate for two weeks at a time if I'm close contact traced, or I have to, you know, wear a mask in practice, which, um, you know, is a whole learning curve in itself. And so it's not easy to adjust, especially with a big change uh, in an event that I've been planning for for so long. You know, at this point, it, it, it's irresponsible to plan for anything. And so I think us and all the athletes just sort of take it day by day. Did you feel like you were you're at the level that you're tra- you're you're sending to the point that you could have won gold totally i think i was in the best shape of my life um you know last march when notre dame sent the athletes home obviously that took away my training opportunity as a notre dame athlete um and so it was frustrating to kind of just slowly see all my progress you know kind of fade away um obviously i maintained as much as i could but without access to a track or a high jump pit it's hard to do you know the same sort of training i would be doing that being said i i think i've regained it and i'm even in better shape now and and super excited to see where I'll be in a few months, uh, you know, for trials and then a few months later with the actual game. So I guess we'll wait and see. Three-time world champion, Sam Grew, Middlebury native, Notre Dame senior. You have a smile as I say that. Is it still surreal to hear your name listed next to world champion? (laughs) You know, it, yes, totally. Uh, And I think the, the part that's craziest to me is just like how that time has passed. Uh, You know, we were just talking before this about how 2015, my first world championship, um, that feels like last week. Um, and so to have, you know, two additional world championship titles on top of that and a Paralympic medal and a world record, uh, it's just kind of mind boggling to me. Like, when did I do that? Um, you know, where did the time go? And so to be here today with, with that sort of, um, you know, laundry list of of accolades is really cool and it's really cool to look back and just sort of see where I was then and where I am now. Oh, well, it's really cool for for me to see it because I've known you since you were about 12 years old. Now you're 21 and you know, first meeting you, you're you're a kid with cancer. 
and couldn't fathom at that point, right, that, you, that you're going to eventually be a world champion Paralympian. Take us back to, you know, when you were first diagnosed with osteosarcoma, you know, it was right at Christmas in, in 2011, and were, were you feeling bad? Did you know something was wrong? And how difficult was it when you heard the news? And then obviously, eventually, when you're told, we're gonna have to take your leg. The the pain that I was experiencing wasn't out of out of it, it wasn't abnormal. I guess I had uh, I had grown eight eight inches in the year previous, and uh, so growing pains were normal and expected. And so having a, a you know a pain in my right knee was just another day. Um, and so we got it checked out, and it was uh, kind of shrugged off as probably just a strained IT band. And I was sent home with you know stretching uh, techniques and ice and Advil, whatever. Uh, and and the pain got considerably worse over the next few weeks until uh, it was time to go back in. Um, and I could tell, by the way, that by the doctor's demeanor that it was pretty bad. And so, um, you know, that was two days before Christmas. And then hearing the word cancer in a diagnosis is just an entirely different world that it takes you to. Uh, you can never plan for anything like that, uh, especially as a 12-year-old. Um, and I think, obviously, there's the, there's the sadness and the anger. But the biggest thing that I remember was just the confusion and the uncertainties that surrounded it. I felt like none of my questions were able to be answered because they're just weren't answers for it, uh, at least at that moment in time. There was just so many different, um, you know, biopsies and tests that needed to be taken before I had any sort of understanding of, of uh, what was going on. And then, you know, fast forward, my uh, orthopedic surgeon actually gave me two choices for what to do with my leg. The, uh, the first choice was actually limb salvage, in which my knee uh, and the tumor would be meticulously picked apart and replaced with an artificial joint. Uh, and I'd be able to keep my leg. It would cosmetically, I mean, it'd still be flesh and blood, my leg. The the downside is that the artificial joint would be extremely fragile, such that I would never be able to return to sports because it could break. Uh, he said even activities like biking or going in the ocean would be a risk because, you know, a wave could hit it just right and shatter the artificial joint. Uh, and for a while, that was actually the choice that I went with because it's as a 12-year-old, you're not really going to help. I guess I should say what the second choice was, was yeah, amputation of my leg. Uh, and, and as a 12-year-old, the initial instinct is obviously going to be to keep the leg. Um, but as I kind of began considering what that might look like and began considering what my goals were long-term, uh, you know, my, my opinion started to shift. I remember uh, thinking, thinking back to when I was younger and how my dad would go out in the yard with me and play football or baseball. We'd go on runs and hikes uh, and, and how I, you know, long term wanted to do that with my own kids. And going through with limb salvage would kind of render that impossible. And so that was kind of the, uh, the kicker for me that said, nope, I think amputation is the right choice. It would give me the best chance to return to an active lifestyle. And a, I could, you know, go forth go forth after that with no restrictions. And so I ultimately made the decision uh, at 12 years old to amputate my right leg for the sake of returning to uh, the lifestyle that I wanted. Uh, I can't, I still can't, you know, and I, I got to know you just a little bit after that. And you were positive, which I thought was so impressive. Like you, you were bald, you were still <laughs> going through treatment, but you still had a positivity about you. What was what allowed you to be positive during those those times? Sure. Um, I mean, first and foremost, it was the community around me. My friends and family really, really rallied. The entire town of Middlebury came together so many different times, uh, whether it was fundraisers or just to keep my spirits up, and that really helped distract me from, um, you know, the stuff that I was going through, which was terrible. 
Um, and there were days where being positive wasn't possible, um, and that's to be expected. But I think what I learned pretty quickly was, you know, being negative and really sulking and taking in the negatives of any situation is not going to get me anywhere. Um, it's not going to change the situation. The cancer's not going away because I cry about it. That if I can take everything sort of as a lesson, as a learning curve, and carry a growth mindset, then I'll be able to come out of it in the best situation possible. And honestly, a lot of it was me wanting to make sure my decision to amputate my leg was the correct decision. You know, if I didn't take it seriously, if I didn't have a you know positive growth mindset, like I said, then I would come out not able to return to an active lifestyle. You know, I, I wouldn't know how to walk. And so a lot of it was just making sure I made the right decision by just sort of taking advantage and, and, and trying to take control of the few things I could control. Notre Dame senior and three-time world champion in the Paralympics, Sam Grew joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Middlebury native. Yes, he goes to Notre Dame, but he does have a very strong Notre Dame football connection, and that's from that 2012 football season. You know, Sam, you're sick. You just had your leg amputated, and then you get a connection with the football team and basically get adopted by the team. Take us through that process and how much being around that football team during that magical season really helped you um, get through cancer. Totally. There is no doubt in my mind that I would not be uh, where I am today if it weren't for the Notre Dame football team. And it really started in the hospital bed when I was, um, you know, I had 22 sessions of chemotherapy, each lasting uh, a week in the hospital. So I had plenty of time in there. And, uh, there was a, a Notre Dame assistant coach who was coming in and volunteering um, a few times, and we got to, we got to talk in, and I think he kind of realized quickly that my passion for sports and my my desire to return to sports really uh, would resonate with the football team. And after talking more, he hatched the idea of sort of adopting me onto the team. He saw it as a uh, a way for both me and the team to benefit, and that me and my fight to you know beat cancer or return to football would really motivate the guys to keep pushing and their support and their, um, you know, structure would give me the ability to take my mind off of things and push me to continue uh, fighting my own fight. And so that's exactly what he put into place. And so a few weeks later, I uh, we had a formal adoption ceremony onto the team. And um, right off the bat, it was like a brotherhood. You know, there were there was so many guys that went out of their way to make sure that uh, I knew that I was um, cared for. They wanted to make sure we were getting a, a genuine connection. You know, I'm still friends with these guys today. Uh, and it it worked wonders in distracting me from um, what I was going through. And, you know, if we fast forward to the actual football season, I was walking around with five 10-pound uh, IV bags on my back running the entire game. But I wasn't going to miss a single game because it's my brothers out in the field. And so uh, being in the locker room and seeing it behind the scenes and feeling like I was a part of every win was just incredible, uh, especially in 2012, um, you know, undefeated season. Uh, and, and I was even there in Miami for uh, whatever that game was. <laughs> um, and so I think when I look back, I kind of see that as my first transition back into sports because it wasn't actually me out there competing on the field, but it was me mentally I felt like I was I felt like I was part of that team and that really helped me transition my mindset into the place it needed to be in order to succeed uh, in my own endeavors what's your favorite memory from that season 
it's got to be Stanford. Rainy game, total comeback, and I was down on the field. I remember the excitement of it. I remember how big it was, but not necessarily. I believe Manti actually stuffed them on the goal line, on the one-yard line for the win. Goal line stand. Yep, and um, I was down there 40, 30 feet away on the field, and the place erupted. Um, and, and I'll never forget that. Um, but there's so many others as well. Jeez. I got to write these down. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you could definitely write a book yeah. <laughs> one day. Sam Grew joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. He's a three-time world champion. He's the world record holder um, in terms of Paralympians in the high jump. He's from Middlebury. He's a Notre Dame senior. He wants to be a doctor one day. He's an inspirational story, and we're so uh, proud to be able to share his story once again with you. I've been able to uh, share Sam's story over the years, and it, even starting this interview, it's been weird hearing <laughs> your voice as a grown adult <laughs> from where it was. Not even when you were winning uh, and going to Doha and 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 Rio and doing well, you're still a, a kid at those points. Um, so you start the high jump, then basically a, a year or two later, you go cancer free in 2013. And then you start doing high jump in 2014. How did this come to be? Who came up with this concept to to kind of get you to to do the high jump? Yeah. So so the first thing actually after um, being cancer free that I did was try out for my high school basketball team, uh, the freshman team, and I made that, and I uh, loved it. I love being back on the court. And so as soon as that was over, I decided, all right, sure, I'll I'll try out lacrosse. I never played lacrosse, but. Um, I had so much momentum at that point and so much uh, desire to be back on the field, and that worked. And then actually football as well. And that worked for you know the first year and a half or so after uh, completing my treatment. Uh, and, and around that time, my dad had heard of a uh, adaptive sports competition that was happening outside of Chicago uh, for track and field. Uh, adaptive sports being people with physical disabilities competing in all the different track and field events. Um, and... I had never done that. I never done track and field, and I had um, never really uh, seen myself as an adaptive athlete. And so I was kind of hesitant to give it a try, but uh, he convinced me. And uh, I tried so many events that day because I didn't know what I was going to do. And honestly, I, I, I fell in love with a few of them, uh, including high jump. And the only reason I stuck with high jump was because one of the uh, – like one of the national team coaches approached me and said, hey, you know, you looked really good in that. I think you should pursue that. And so that that stuck with me. That was that was enough uh, convincing that I needed. And so uh, from that point on, I started training in high jump and, and quickly fell in love with it so much more. Uh, you know, started training with a local coach and really started to find success. Um, you know, take that a year later is when I um, made my first international team. And so... It really did all happen very quickly, and there were so many different things to learn. You know, high jump is just, it's just kind of where I ended up, and I'm so happy that she came up and approached me. You say a year later, and that's the craziest thing. You start the high jump in 2014, and in 2015, you're in Doha winning gold, the gold medal at the, at the World Championships for, for, for Paralympics. I mean, that's insane. Did you even know what... I mean, did you even really know what you were doing yet at that point? I mean, looking back at it? No, no, not even remotely. And um, that's the craziest thing. And, and, you know, if I go back and watch the the Doha competition, I was seated last or second to last. I was the youngest by a considerable amount, had no experience. 
Um, and I was just looking to not get last place, which is not the most ambitious goal, but for my, you know, first or second international competition, it was something. Uh, and, and as the competition started unfolding, I was jumping better than, than I ever had and, um, pretty quickly surpassed my personal best. And, you know, I, at this point, three, four, five different athletes have dropped out. So yeah, I've avoided the last place shoot, let's see where else I can land. Um, and so kept going and kept going. Eventually, it was just the three of us. There's just three of us left. And at that point, I knew I was secured a medal. In a, <laughs> there came a certain point, I think when I think at the point when there was three of us left, I was already 16 or 17 centimeters over my personal best, which in high jump is just absurd. I mean, you can get one or two centimeters over your personal best per year. And so to be yeah, I ended up 20 centimeters over. And so to, to, to hit that last jump where I knew it would secure the gold medal was just crazy because I had never jumped anything close to that height. And so many different things were just clicking all at once that I couldn't hit in training. I couldn't get them all to work at once. And whether it was the adrenaline or, you know, the 120 degree heat, I don't know what it was, but it all came together and things just worked after that. It just clicked um, and that's, you know, obviously that's when I became a world champion. And I think that was a really defining moment for me in my athletic career. <laughs> no doubt. I, <laughs> I remember getting you on via Skype and we were both like going, you know, we're supposed to be unbiased journalists. I was cheering like crazy. <laughs> I'm like, Sam, way to go. I'm like, I'm confused. I didn't think this was supposed to happen. And you're like, I don't think it was supposed to either. <laughs> you know, total fluke. But now I can look back and well, it, wasn't it a happened fluke. a few times. It, yeah, was, so. it, it wasn't a fluke. You ended up winning the world championship two more times after that. But, you know, and then a year after that in 2016, you you win silver at Rio at, at the Paralympics. And that gets confusing because you're a Paralympian and it's the Paralympics. But mm-hmm. at the Paralympics, which is the big one, obviously, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's your equivalent of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Was that a disappointment because you had won gold or was it? Dude, I just won silver <laughs> at the Paralympics. What was the mindset in that regard? So anyone who knows me knows I've always been overly competitive to a fault. And so the for after Rio and for a considerable amount of time afterward, it was disappointment because I wanted gold so bad. And I was just, you know, half an inch shy of winning that gold medal. Um, now I'm a little bit more mature and I've... I've um, learned some lessons and I know what perspective means and I can say wow how special is that that I won the silver medal you know at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games um, and it it's not the spirit of the Paralympics to be vengeful and to be disappointed in yourself you know it's all about overcoming challenges and inclusion and really just embracing what adaptive sports is all about and so now I can look back and celebrate that in its entirety. But at the time, um, that wasn't possible. And, and for better or worse, it really fueled me. Uh, you know, I've, I've won gold every competition since then because I was not prepared to, uh, to feel disappointed like that again. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a big, big learning opportunity for me. Uh, and that's probably the biggest reason I'm so disappointed about the postponement yeah. of, of Tokyo because... It's the one thing that's been elusive for you. Exactly. It's the only, you know, it's the only gold medal I haven't won. Uh, that, that sounds so cocky. But, um, you know, it's the one thing that I haven't gotten yet. And now it's just another year away. Um, but I'll be patient. 
I'll be stronger and, uh, you know, I'll attack that. I'll cross that bridge when the time comes. Sam Grew joining us here, three-time world champion in the high jump in Paralympics. He's also a Middlebury native and a Notre Dame senior. Sam, we talked earlier about uh, Notre Dame and being adopted on the football team. And now you're just you're buddies with guys on the football team. How, how strange is that now, going from a guy who idolized the members of the football team to just being friends with the guys? It's so bizarre, and I try not to think about it when I'm just chatting with my football friends um, because it really, really changes the perspective. You know, <laughs> Back in 2012, I saw these guys as the biggest, strongest guys that are just they're, – they're geniuses. They're at Notre Dame. You know, they've got it all put together, and now I'm a student – um, super good friends with you know several guys on the football team. I have class with them, and it's just like, nope, none of us really know what we're doing. None of us have it put together. Um, these guys are just hilarious. Um, they're just trying to make it day by day, too. And so just a total, it really <laughs> humanizes what it means to be a, uh, a Notre Dame football player. Um, I think I think even just the general public could could learn could learn from that because I think people hold, um, athletes, whether it's in college or professional, just to unrealistic standards and think they're these perfect humans. And folks, I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. That's <laughs> not true. Um, and it's been really cool to see that and now just to see uh, my own growth as I am, you know, on the, in the same class as them. Whereas before I was the, uh, you know, kid going through cancer that they were taking in as a brother. You want to be a doctor. Obviously, I assume this whole experience is the reason why. Take us through um, what your objectives are and, and, why, and why this was – and when maybe you started first thinking about this and why you want to be a doctor. Yeah, so I spent two years of my life pretty much in the hospital. Uh, and during that time, I really got to learn the intangibles that goes into being a good doctor. Um, it's compassion. It's empathy. It's bedside manner. It's um, you know treating the patient as a whole. And I don't think these are things – that can be taught in a textbook. Um, and really since then, I've felt drawn to a career in medicine where I'll have the opportunity to put those lessons into practice uh, and sort of give back to you know, the, the community that um, saved my life. And so that was my first, uh, first draw back into medicine. I never really considered it a possibility, uh, especially early on, considering I essentially entered high school with a sixth grade education. I missed all of seventh and eighth grade. And so, um, you know, a career in medicine was not necessarily something that I could reach after entering high school with, um, you know, two years behind my peers. Through tremendous work, mornings and mornings and nights, training and, and, and catching back up academically, I was able to get back on track and I was able to graduate, um, you know, top 10 in my class. And from then it became more feasible to actually pursue one of the most rigorous um, career paths available. And so it's been a whole journey, and uh, Notre Dame has really made it possible for sure. There's been so many ups and downs, and now that I'm a senior, uh, it's kind of weird just to kind of know and, and know that, yeah, I, I'll, I'll get into medical school and I will be a doctor um, because there were so many years of my life where that wasn't um, guaranteed. And so now it's just kind of... Um, I'm just ready to take the next steps, I guess. Sam, thank you very much. Uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is Sam Grew, uh, outstanding young man. I've, 
I've been blessed to be able to tell a story a number of times, whether it was at WNDU or now here. Never got a chance to do it in 22 minutes and 30 seconds, so it's great to tell the whole scope of the story. What a incredible young man. Well, and the growth over time, um, just inspiring. And then, as you said, I mean, so articulate. He really, he's so well-spoken. Um, and Yeah, just so inspiring. I can't imagine going through that at 11. Like, wow. The process of deciding whether or not to keep your leg or not keep your leg at 11 and 12 years old. That was probably the most remarkable thing mm-hmm. because he, you know, who wants to lose their leg? And obviously he made the right choice because he's uh, succeeded quite a bit without that leg. Yeah, it's really amazing. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?